one. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Sunday, June 10th. Oh, you know what's going to happen. So you may not know. So basketball season is now over. Basketball season is officially done. And uh, after this episode, tomorrow, tomorrow, Tuesday, I am flying to Dallas. Tuesday morning, I'm flying to Dallas for a week. And I'm going to take a week off. So after this episode, I'm going to put out all the clips from today's podcast. And then don't expect another another video for about another week because I'm taking a week off of making videos and going to Dallas and going to see Dallas Cowboys Stadium. And I'm going to have a lot of fun. I'm very excited. What I am excited for as well is that so much has happened between the last time I did a podcast and today. It's been like two days and a, a ton of crap has happened. I'm so very excited. I'm going to start today's podcast with talking about the NBA and then we're going to move into football and I have one baseball story for today. We're going to move into football though later in the show. Uh, I, I think I should start with this though. The Warriors just swept the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Warriors won four games in a row. The Warriors are now the NBA champions. They won the NBA Finals. And what I'm, what I'm left with after the NBA Finals is just this question. How does this affect LeBron James' legacy? Do, do you feel better about LeBron? Do you feel worse about LeBron? I am extremely conflicted. I, I really don't know. And, and what's more concerning and more frustrating for me is I'm hearing great arguments on either side. I feel like I can't pick a side. And, and I always do that. I always try to listen to both sides of every argument and pick a side. And uh, the truth is LeBron James' legacy is not black and white. There, it's hard to pick a side with LeBron James, which is why I think it's so fascinating and maybe so interesting. Why LeBron James' legacy is so fascinating and interesting to me. Now, the way I see it, sports fans have a choice. They do. You can either look at LeBron James reaching the NBA Finals this year, an accomplishment. You know, LeBron James made it. Great accomplishment. Or you can look at it this way. You can say that losing in the NBA Finals hurts LeBron James. You have a choice. It's up to you. I do want to point something out. I want to go through the history of the NBA Finals between the Cavaliers and the Warriors. Because I believe that this, is, this was the last time we'll ever see the Cavaliers and the Warriors meet in the NBA Finals, at least maybe not for 30 years. Um, But I want to point something out out about the history of the Finals. So the last four years, LeBron James and the the Cavaliers have gone up against the Golden State Warriors. LeBron James won one of those four times. LeBron James is one and three against the Warriors in the Finals. So I want to start with the 2015 NBA Finals. The Cavs and the Warriors. If you remember, it was Kevin Love was out. He was injured. And Kyrie Irving got injured in the beginning of Game 1. And so what happened was the Golden State Warriors in the 2015 NBA Finals, the Warriors had three stars, Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green. And the Cavaliers only had LeBron James. So LeBron James lost those finals. It was three stars versus LeBron, and LeBron James lost. Now the next year in 2016, the Warriors won 73 games. They had the best record an NBA team has ever had in the NBA regular season. And in the finals, guess what? LeBron's team wasn't injured, so it was actually a fair fight. It was three on three. Three stars in Golden State and three stars with the Cavaliers. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green versus LeBron, Kevin Love, and Kyrie Irving. Three on three. And in the fair fight, the Cavaliers won. 
when LeBron James actually had a fair fight against the Warriors, he won the game. They won in seven games. Now, the following year, the Golden State Warriors followed up their loss in the championship. After losing a fair fight to the Cavaliers, they decided to up the ante. They didn't just reload, they brought in the second best player in the world. Kevin Durant joined a 73-win basketball team. Kevin Durant joined the team that beat his team in the Western Conference Finals and just lost the NBA Finals. And when it was four stars against three, uh, LeBron James lost. When the, Cav- when the Warriors had four stars and LeBron James just had three, the Cavaliers lost four games to one. Cavaliers only won one game in that NBA Finals. That is last year, two years ago, I guess. So this season now, in the offseason between last year and this year, with just this year being the year that just happened, 2017-18, in the offseason after losing his second finals to the Warriors, Kyrie Irving left. LeBron James lost one of his three stars. Kyrie Irving left to the Celtics. And what that did was made the matchup four stars versus three. Interesting because four stars versus three couldn't win. Now four stars versus two is what we had. When Kyrie Irving left, you had four stars with the Golden State Warriors and just two, Kevin Love and LeBron James in Cleveland. And uh, again, I point out, if, if four on three couldn't win, four on two definitely couldn't win. No chance. So all offseason, leading up to this last NBA season, all offseason, all we heard was, we expect LeBron James to lose in the finals. It's what we all expected. You expected it. I expected it. Nobody expected LeBron James to win the NBA finals this year. Nobody did. And guess what? He didn't. Shocker. He made it and he lost, which we all expected to happen. We all expected the Cavaliers and the Warriors would meet in the finals and the Warriors would probably sweep the Cavaliers. Oh, guess what happened? Exactly what everybody said would happen. So I I think it's very interesting. If we all expected this to happen, if we all expected this outcome, how could it change your opinion of LeBron James? I don't know. Because I imagine this. Imagine the greatest fighter in the entire world. He gets into a fight. The greatest fighter and his buddy. His buddy's an average fighter. So the greatest fighter in the world and his buddy agree to a fight with four all-star fighters. Nobody expects the greatest fighter to win. It's four on two. And it's a shocker. In fact, we would be impressed. We were impressed when if, when, and if the greatest fighter of all time with his buddy made a four-on-two fight, uh, an unfair fight. If he made it even competitive, we'd be impressed. And guess what? That's what happened in the NBA Finals. LeBron lost to a far better team uh, with more better players, better bench, everything. And none of us were surprised when LeBron James lost in the NBA Finals. We all expected that. And yet we punished him because he made it competitive. LeBron James is now 3-6 and six in the NBA Finals. Three wins, six losses. And we have expected this for months. But again, something happened over the course of the NBA Finals. What happened was these games were competitive. Two of the four games the Cavaliers and the Warriors played were close at the end. And the two games that were close at the end, LeBron James lost. And it's so funny to me. This is where you have a choice. If you are a basketball fan, if you're a sports fan, you now have a choice. How do you judge LeBron? How do you judge LeBron? Game one was close. 
close at the end, they lost in overtime. LeBron lost in, cl- in crunch time of game one. And game three was also close. LeBron had a close game and the ball with three minutes left, and LeBron still lost. Game one and game three were close at the end, and LeBron James still lost. I, I remember something. Uh, Tony Romo, I-, I watched him growing up. I remember his career very vividly. I-, I watched almost every game Tony Romo played. He would lose a ton of close games. And, and people hated him. People hated Tony Romo, the former Dallas Cowboys quarterback. People hated him. Said he always loses close games. And what they never quite realized was the reason the games are even close is because of Tony Romo. Tony Romo's teams were awful and he was getting the game within a distance. He was giving his team a chance to win. And they couldn't deliver. He didn't deliver, sure. But the only reason why games were close was because Tony Romo was on the Dallas Cowboys. They might have lost a lot of close games. But the only reason they were even in those games to begin with was because of Tony Romo. And LeBron James is very similar. LeBron James is the only reason the Cavaliers were even competitive in the NBA Finals. The only reason the Cavaliers were ever in an opportunity where they could have maybe won a game, they had LeBron James. Without, if you switch LeBron James and Kevin Durant, it's not going to be competitive. It wouldn't, I, I, it's just the truth. Put any one star on that team. It's not competitive with the Warriors. Unless the one star is LeBron James. But I'm still very conflicted. I I am still having a hard time with this. Because LeBron James lost in crunch time. He he had opportunities. And he didn't deliver when it mattered most. And I've seen very interesting debates. I've seen debates all over the internet. Uh, One of them is that LeBron James should have guarded Kevin Durant. At the end of Game 3. At the end of Game 3, Kevin Durant hits this big three-pointer to put the game out of reach. He, he put the icing on the cake. And, and many people are saying LeBron James should have stepped up. He should have been guarding Kevin Durant in that moment. And he didn't really try hard to fight through a screen. In fact, he didn't try at all to fight through a screen. He switched when they, they did that. And some people have been bothered by LeBron James switching on the screen. They say, you shouldn't switch on that. You should guard Kevin Durant. LeBron James should have taken the responsibility of guarding Kevin Durant in the closing minutes of Game 3. That's what a lot of people are saying. Not me, but that's what people are saying. LeBron James should have been guarding Kevin Durant when Kevin Durant hit that big shot at the end of Game 3. That's what people are saying. Other people are arguing, well, um, the Cavaliers' defensive strategy is on screens, you switch. And LeBron James was running the defense that the Cavaliers had designed. And people are saying, you know, LeBron James should not override the Cavaliers' defensive strategy simply because he wants to win, uh, simply because he wants to guard the best player at the end of the game. And and I I still don't really know how to feel about this. Uh, What's interesting is some people are saying LeBron James is passive. People are saying LeBron James in this series did not take over scoring. So we learned at the end of the series, LeBron James had a broken shooting hand. His shooting hand was broken after he punched the whiteboard after the frustrating loss in game one. And so I, I'm conflicted. First of all, the guarding Kevin Durant thing. Is that the difference between Michael Jordan and Kevin Durant? Because I think Michael Jordan is guarding the best player at the end of the game. He was defensive player of the year many times. And uh, you'd think LeBron James should have been guarding Kevin Durant. I think, I think it was 
Oh, what's that? The left-handed guy. Rod, I think it was Rodney Hood guarding Kevin Durant. Like, ah, I want LeBron James in that scenario. But you can also argue, well, he was running the defense. Now, about the shooting thing. He hurt his hand. LeBron hurt his hand, and it's very visible. If you watch and you look at the screen, you see his shooting hand is huge. It's puffed up. It's clearly injured. And some people don't believe he broke it. Again, I, I really would encourage you to go look at pictures. One hand is clearly swelled up. One hand is clearly normal. So, I, I don't know. What, what I don't understand is why LeBron James kept this a secret. I, I don't know. I, I don't know why LeBron James kept his broken hand a secret. Because he broke his hand after game one. Why didn't he tell anybody all series? I, I have no idea. It makes no sense to me. I'm sure there's a good reason. I, I just don't know it. But what I do know is that after the alleged broken hand happened, which I think he broke it, after the broken hand happened in game one, in games two, three, and four, LeBron James was a different scorer. He wasn't as good. In game one, he scored 51 points. He looked amazing. He had confident shooting. He did everything. Games two, three, and four, he did not look as confident shooting a jump shot. Could that have been because his shooting hand was injured? His shooting hand was broken. That makes sense to me. How else do you explain 51 points in game one? Super confident shooting. An amazing performance. And then he just, for some reason, in games two, three, and four, is not the same shooter. Why does that happen? Did he get hot or was it the injury? I don't know. But I do look at pictures and I see in games two, three, and four, his hand was bloated up. And I'll say this again. The best fighter in the world and his buddy agree to fight four all-star fighters. And everybody believed the greatest fighter and his buddy were going to lose to the four all-stars. Everybody's like, he doesn't have a chance. And the best fighter lost, which is what we expected. We expected four versus two. We thought the two would lose. The two did lose to the four. Four stars beats two. We expected that. But nobody expected it to be a competitive fight. LeBron James did what nobody expected. There were times where it looked like he could have won. Hmm. Hmm, interesting. Yet we punish him for doing well. It seems to me that if LeBron James had been blown out in four straight games, people would say, well, he was overmatched. But because he made those games competitive, oh, now he's a loser that can't make it happen in close games. It's interesting to me. I don't know. I mean, LeBron James had 51 points in game one. He's the only player in NBA history to score over 50 points and lose a game in the finals. He also had a triple-double in Game 3 with a broken hand. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I watched the game with my best friend's dad. My, my best friend's dad is, is a very quiet man. Uh, but what he did was he watched every single Michael Jordan game. He watched Michael Jordan his entire career. And uh, I, I always assumed because he watched... Michael Jordan, because he's older and he, you know, he, he watched that happen because there's a generation gap. And I always assumed because of the generation gap between him and I, he would say, yes, Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. So I asked him, hey, what do you think of LeBron versus Jordan? What do you think? And uh, he said, Michael Jordan never had to carry a load like LeBron James. LeBron James has one more with less than Michael Jordan ever did. We never saw Michael Jordan win by himself. Horace Grant, Steve Kerr, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman. 
those 90s Bulls teams were the Warriors of the 90s. Michael Jordan always had help. Not to mention, not to mention, Michael Jordan always had Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson, who has 11 NBA championships. Jordan always had a great team and a great coach. Something Michael or LeBron James has not had the luxury of having. So I think it's up to you. Uh, do you think less of LeBron James after he lost in the NBA Finals? Do you? Do you think less of LeBron James after he got swept by the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals? Do you think less of LeBron? Because I don't. I don't think less of LeBron. I'm not going to punish LeBron for making games one and three competitive. I did at first. It bothered me. But I thought about it and I was like, hmm. We all season said LeBron James is going to lose in the NBA Finals. And when LeBron James does lose in the NBA Finals, somehow that makes him look worse. I don't know. In a weird way, I'm not going to blame him because he wasn't able to pull off the incredible. I mean, I, maybe, maybe the expectations are too high for LeBron James, but might I ask, did anybody think LeBron James was going to win this series? Did he have a chance? No, he didn't. He, he's, he was the greatest underdog possibly in NBA Finals history. And he lost. He, he did what we expected. I don't know. I, I'm not going to punish LeBron James for uh, losing to a team with four All-Stars. Two league MVPs, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. I don't know if that's a fair fight. You're fighting four guys with two. And uh, four on two beats, four guys beats two all the time. So I'm not going to punish LeBron James for losing in the NBA Finals. Although, look, there's good arguments out there. If you do, I understand. Go ahead. Hey, do it. That's fine. I, I don't, though. I don't choose to punish LeBron James for losing in the NBA Finals to the Golden State Warriors. Now, I have a question for you, though. Another question uh, I think is very interesting. We talked about LeBron James. But my next question is now, <clears throat> do you respect Kevin Durant? Do you respect Kevin Durant? Because Kevin Durant has now won two NBA championships. But the only way that Kevin Durant was able to win two NBA championships was by joining a 73-win team. Kevin Durant had to join a 73-win team, the team with the best regular season record of all time. That is how Kevin Durant got his two championships. The argument people always make in favor of Kevin Durant is that they believe in mobility. People are like, I believe in leaving to make a better life for yourself. And that's why I don't blame Kevin Durant for joining the Warriors. Uh, you know, I understand. There, there is nothing wrong with moving to a better situation to have a better life, to be more successful. I would be a complete hypocrite if I said that was a bad thing. I switched schools in high school. Um, my old school was awful at football. I wanted to play college football. That was my goal, my dream. And, uh, my old school in Portland, Oregon, not only was horrible at football, had a bad coach, uh, a coach that told me I was not going to play my junior year. If I was going to stay at that school in Portland, Oregon, I was going to be a backup. I realized it was a bad situation. 
And I had to leave. So I left my old team. And when I left my old team in Portland, they went 0-10. Didn't win a game. I didn't feel bad at all. At my new school, I had fun. Now, I knew they had a quarterback there. I showed up day one. I was the backup. But guess what? I beat him out. And I became the starting quarterback at the new school. In my first year, I won more games in one season than my entire life at the Portland program. But from seventh grade to sophomore year, I won more games in my junior year of high school at my new school in Washington than I did between seventh grade and sophomore year in Portland. I had fun. I set records. I made the playoffs. I loved it. I I switched. I went to a new situation, a better situation, and I had fun. I was happy. I was winning. It was the greatest decision I ever made. I, I have no qualms about it. I had fun for two years. I even got to play some college football. It was awesome. So I am a firm believer in moving to make yourself have a better life, in moving to make yourself happy. Mobility is not a bad thing. But I do want to point out I played quarterback. I replaced somebody else. What if, what if I wasn't replacing somebody else? What if I was adding on top rather than replacing somebody? So what if the best receiver in the state of Washington joined a really good team that already has the best group of receivers in the state? Number one receiver joins a bunch of other really good receivers. And he, he just cherry picks a championship. Do, do I respect it? but I understand it. I don't have to respect that receiver, but I can understand it. The Warriors did not need Kevin Durant to win a championship. But Kevin Durant is the reason why the Warriors have won two in a row as easily as they have. Kevin Durant is having fun. He's winning. He's making an impact. Kevin Durant is making an impact on his new team. Do I respect Kevin Durant? Not really. Not really at all. But do I understand Kevin Durant? Yes, I do. Do I think less of Kevin Durant? No, I don't. I don't have to respect him to not, not think less of him. I don't really respect Kevin Durant. But I don't think less of him because he went to the Warriors. I get it, man. Kevin Durant's having fun. He's living the good life. He's winning games. I did the same thing. I left. It felt great. It was awesome to to look at my old school and say, you're losing. I'm winning. Life is good. It, It really was the sweetest victory I could have ever had. And the other key to this is that Kevin Durant could actually earn my respect. There is a world where I do someday respect Kevin Durant. If Kevin Durant can win five championships with the Warriors... That would be impressive. That would impress me. If Kevin Durant can win five championships with the Golden State Warriors, there you go. I respect that. That's a dynasty. That's amazing. I don't care what you say. You win five championships, it's, it's over. You can't, you can't criticize that anymore. You, you, who, no matter who you are, you can't criticize five championships in a row. So if Kevin Durant wins five championships in a row, I will respect him. He will no longer be cherry-picking a championship or two, that would be damn impressive. The point is this. Kevin Durant got a better life. He he did take the easier route, which is why I don't respect Kevin Durant. He took the easy way to a championship. Sure. 
but but I get it, man. I understand. Kevin Durant's happy. He's winning. Life is good. He's getting paid millions of dollars. He's enjoying life. And the more rings that Kevin Durant wins, the closer he is to earning my respect. If Kevin Durant can win five championships with the Golden State Warriors, there it is. I respect that. I do. I do. I do. He's got two rings. Got three to go. If Kevin Durant can win three more rings, I will respect him. <sighs> so uh, yesterday, today's Sunday. Yesterday was Saturday. I, I learned a big lesson yesterday. A, a painful one. A one, one I didn't really want to learn, to be honest. I learned that some battles, you, you just can't win. You have to know when to simply walk away. To just, you know what? I'm not making an impact here. Got to move on. Got to fight a different battle. I, I spoke the truth on my Instagram story the other day. Uh, yesterday. I made a joke. Uh, fine, a bad one, maybe. It was in passing. I said the name of my childhood bully. Made a mistake. And what he did was attacked me, man. It was a mess. This kid was coming after me with everything he had. And, uh, I don't know. He attacked me. Everyone sided with me. I think he was wrong. But what I decided was I, I can't change this person. I can't win. I'm not making an impact. There's no point. There's no battle here to fight. Why, why am I trying to? There's no reason. So I, I walked away. Because no matter what I did, no matter what I said, no matter what I, nothing. I wasn't going to change this person who's attacking me and sending me horrible messages. So even though I was right, even though I, I thought I was completely right, uh, some battles you just can't win and you have to move on. You just, I don't know if it's even a loss. It's just, hey, I got to fight a different battle. You can't win here. Sometimes you just got to move on. In Cleveland, with the Cleveland Cavaliers, LeBron James can't win. He cannot beat the Golden State Warriors. And he just needs to move on. Sometimes you've got to accept you're fighting a losing battle. A battle you can't make an impact. You can't change the outcome. I don't know. I mean, let me say, it's pretty hard to have a conversation with someone when you're being reasonable and trying to talk to them and they're screaming at you. If someone's screaming at you and you're calm and collected, you're not going to win that. They're not willing to have a conversation with you. They just want to yell and scream. And you can't win that battle. So LeBron James is going to leave Cleveland. He's going to find a new approach. What's another way I can beat the Golden State Warriors? Because in Cleveland, it's a battle he can't win and he just needs to walk away from. So uh, LeBron James gave an interview before Game 4. Leading into Game 4 of the NBA Finals, LeBron James gave an interview. It was 20 minutes long. I actually watched the entire thing. It was spot on. It's incredible. I, I recommend. I'm going to leave a description in the bio. Go listen or watch the entire podcast. It's or the entire interview. The interview is fantastic. It's LeBron James just being extremely honest and open. Uh, he actually gave the media more than he's ever given probably ever in his life. Just being honest. He's being funny. He made me laugh. It was really, really cool. And uh, LeBron James said two things in this interview, interview that I love. I'm going to play clips from them. The first thing LeBron James said was this. LeBron James took responsibility uh, for his losses in the NBA Finals. LeBron James took responsibility for his loss in Game 1 and his loss in Game 3. Take a listen, play the clip. 
we've had an opportunity to win two of these games in this three-game series so far, and we haven't come up with it. Uh, so they have a lot of talent. Um, we have a lot of talent as well, but we've been in a position where we've could win two out of these three games. First off, I love that. I love that LeBron James is taking responsibility. He owned it. He said, look, we got to win that game. We had opportunities in game one and game three, and we didn't win. Because that's been my biggest criticism of LeBron James in these NBA Finals is that LeBron James didn't deliver when it mattered most. Now, LeBron James said something else. This is the second clip I'm going to play. And everybody is trashing LeBron James for saying this. Play the clip. Obviously, from a, from a, from a talent perspective, if you look at Golden State from their top five best players to our top five players, you would say that they're stacked better than us. I mean, that's, let's just speak truth. Kevin Durant, and you got two guys with MVPs on our team, and then you got a guy in Clay who could easily be on a team and carry a team, score 40 in a quarter before. And then you have Draymond, who's arguably one of the best defenders and minds that we have in our game. So first, right off the bat, you know it, I know it, we all know it. LeBron James is absolutely correct. They're stacked. The Warriors have a better roster than the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's true. Now, what's interesting, though, has been everybody's response to the way people have criticized him. The way people have criticized LeBron James for this statement is very, very interesting to me. People have said, you know, LeBron James should not be saying this. You can't say this in the middle of the NBA Finals. That's what people are saying. People are saying, you know, there's a guy, oh, he just drives me nuts on Facebook. He's a broadcasting student at WSU. He's an idiot. And he always, he's like, LeBron James is a bad teammate. You just can't say anything bad about your teammates. Not in the Finals. Not before Game 4. Not down nothing to 3. You can't do it. Um, okay. Whoo. Relax. First off. LeBron James was not trashing his teammates. LeBron James is being honest. He knows it. I know it. His teammates know it. Everybody knows the Warriors are quote-unquote stacked in compared to the Cavaliers. It would be dishonest and kind of weird if he denied it. What's he going to say? Yeah, George Hill, you know what? He's a better three-point shooter than Steph Curry. Just be honest. I don't know. He could have said no comment, I guess, but it wasn't in the mood for that. I don't know. I don't think he's trashing his teammates. He might as well just say it. He might as well just say, yeah, they're a better team than us. I don't think he's throwing his team under the bus. But let's, let's assume, okay, maybe LeBron James is throwing his team under the bus. Let's assume for a minute LeBron James really is just being a, a complete, he's just being awful. Let's, let's say LeBron James being a complete bad teammate here. Let's assume for a second, let's imagine LeBron James is saying this because he's trying to throw his team under the bus. If LeBron James was throwing his team under the bus... Does it matter? Because I don't think it does. Even if it, if it was bad intent, it still doesn't matter. Let me ask you, if you were late on your last day to work, would that matter? It, it wouldn't. It would not matter because you're going to peace out at the end of the day anyways. You got one day left. This is it. It doesn't matter. LeBron James saying a comment about his teammates with one game left ever in a Cavaliers roster. We all knew he was going to lose game four. And you know how I knew that? Because I listened to that clip. And I was like, oh yeah, they don't have a chance. If LeBron James is going to say that about his teammates right before the fourth game, you know, I know, we all know, LeBron James doesn't have a chance to win that game. I don't know. 
I just I heard that statement and was like, I'm everyone's mad about this, and I think they're overreacting. It's just like being late to your last day at work. It's pretty inconsequential. It does not really matter in the scheme of things. Now I, I look at LeBron James. LeBron James gave Cleveland everything. Blood, sweat, tears. He even won them a championship. LeBron James gave the city of Cleveland everything. And now, in retrospect, LeBron James doesn't owe Cleveland anything. He gave them everything, and now he owes them nothing. He's free to go. If anybody's mad when he leaves Cleveland, you're, I I think, honestly ridiculous. You're outrageous. I don't understand. It's time for LeBron James to move on. It's time for LeBron James to go find another opportunity that will allow him to have a chance to win another championship. All right. I'm going to drink some water. Uh, We we have some really good stuff coming up ahead. We're going to now shift from the NBA over to the NFL. Football, a little bit of baseball, and some CFL. Here's the topics coming up. We're going to talk about Tom Brady. Tom Brady and the Patriots. Tom Brady has returned to OTAs. What does that mean? Basically, it's an update. Are the Patriots okay? Then I'm going to talk about John Gruden. I'm going to tell you why John Gruden will be better with the Raiders this time than he's ever been before in his life. We're going to talk about the 49ers. We're going to talk about Johnny Manziel's second preseason game in the CFL. Did he make improvements? Did he not? We'll talk about that. It'll be interesting. I'm going to tell you a little theory I have about baseball. I have a theory about the Seattle Mariners that I think you will enjoy. It's interesting. It's very, um, I don't know. It's going to be fun to watch and see if it plays out the rest of the year. And at the end of the show... I did an interview with my friend, my first phone interview I've ever done in my life. I did a phone interview with my buddy who got to work closely with Russell Wilson. And I, I've been, I've questioned Russell Wilson's authenticity in the past. And so I got, to, I got to ask him some questions. Hey, is Russell Wilson really the guy everyone says he is? It'll be fun. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best most interesting clips. If you like strong opinion sports as much as I do, help me grow this podcast by telling your friends about this show. Share strong opinion sports on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. I hate, I hate that every time. It always rhymes. Uh, I think what we should start with is the Patriots. Um, well, really, water first out of my Montana State water bottle. I got to, you know, I got to feature my water bottle in a, a stupid thumbnail. It was exciting. It was pretty cool. So, I believe that the Patriots are okay. I do. They're good, but they're not great. The Patriots are, are they're fine right now. There, there are issues in New England. There are issues with the Patriots. They're an engine leaking oil. But Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, they're professionals. And a car can leak oil for a really long time before it's completely out and it needs to pull over and can't drive anymore. But it will end eventually in New England. But that's inevitable. That's a dumb statement to make because, oh, it's going to end someday. Of course, every quarterback-coach duo ends at some point. But I do think the beginning of the end has happened now. The beginning of the end, the unraveling of the Patriots began this offseason. But I don't know how long it's going to last. I I don't think they're going to win a Super Bowl this year. But, you know, maybe they do. Maybe they're such a good engine and their their leak is so small. They can ride it out for another three seasons, but maybe it's going to end this year. I don't know. We'll find out. What I do know is I, I'm actually quite calm about the way the Patriots 
uh, are operating. Because again, I think they're professionals. I'm not in panic mode about the New England Patriots. I think they're going to be okay this year. I, I entertained the idea that maybe there would be grave consequences to all the turmoil this offseason. I said, A, you know, it's responsible to consider all the possibilities. And B, it, it's entertaining to talk about that. Are the Patriots imploding? Great question. That's an interesting question to ask and to discuss and debate. So I've talked about that. But here, here's what just recently happened. So Tom Brady's been missing voluntary uh, uh, organized team activities. The Patriots have been practicing without Tom Brady, but they haven't told Tom Brady he has to be there, so it's been okay. Tom Brady's never missed voluntary workouts before, but you know what? Is it awesome? No. It's not awesome that Tom Brady is not at voluntary OTAs. And is Tom Brady sending a message when he skipped voluntary workouts? Yes. Tom Brady was sending a message that he does not have to do things Bill Belichick's way. It was, it was defiance. But is it the end of the world that Tom Brady wasn't at the voluntary workouts for the Patriots? Probably not. Probably not. You know, we, we did a meeting about once a month when I worked at a movie theater. We did not. I was a veteran. I was employee of the month seven times. I didn't need to go to that meeting. I knew what they were going to say word for word. But I, I didn't miss it because it mattered to the boss. I didn't need the meeting. Tom Brady doesn't need OTAs, but it matters to the boss. It sends a message if you skip. And so Brady just showed up for mandatory minicamp. When the Patriots said, hey, this is mandatory. You have to be here. Tom Brady showed up. And I think it's funny. It's another calculated move by Tom Brady to skip voluntary workouts, but to show up to mandatory workouts. That's a calculated move by Tom Brady. Because now his teammates get to see how good Tom Brady really is. The Patriots teammates, his teammates are going to see, oh, wow, we are a much better football team when we have Tom Brady on our team. As if it wasn't obvious, but you practice for seven days without your quarterback and then he shows up. Oh, wow. You see a difference. You see a real difference. You think there's not a big difference between Brian Hoyer and whatever that quarterback from LS, Danny Etling versus Tom Brady shows up. That's a big difference. And the Patriots now know how big the difference is. The reason why Tom Brady did that, it's a great way to send a message. And what a way to make an entrance, to, to enter, enter in. The Savior has returned. I'm here to set everything right in New England. That's what Tom Brady did. So there are issues in New England, very clearly. It's been reported all offseason. But I would not overreact. I mean, it's still the Patriots. I mean, I don't know. You want to hear the real issue? This is a, this, I want to tell you what a real issue in the NFL is. A real issue involving training camp is Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas is the Seattle Seahawks veteran safety. He's 29 years old. He's entering the last year of a four-year, $40 million deal. And he put on Twitter, you know, I've earned the right. Over the last eight years, I've earned the right to get a better contract. I want to be in Seattle till I retire. Basically, Earl Thomas wants to get locked up. He wants guaranteed money into the later years of his career. See, that's a real mess. Tom Brady's not a mess. He's not a crisis. Earl Thomas is a problem. That's that's a real crisis. That's a real problem. Because Earl Thomas doesn't deserve anything. He may think he does. He gave eight years of great service, but that's not how the NFL works. 
if you're not any good, I'm not going to pay you money you think you deserve. And uh, he doesn't. The problem is Earl Thomas is old. He doesn't have any leverage anymore. That's the problem. And what is he going to do, sit out the year? No, he's not. That makes him look bad. You're not going to sign a player that sat out a year because of a contract issue. So, I don't know. I think the personal leverage in Seattle is Seattle, not Earl Thomas. So, Seattle, that, that's a real issue. You want to talk about an issue involving training camp, talk about Earl Thomas and the Seattle Seahawks. What's not an issue is Tom Brady and, and the Patriots. Tom Brady showed up for mandatory minicamp. Don't overreact. It's not a huge story. It feels like for quite a while now, the drama's going to be over in New England. I'm sure we're going to have more down the road. Like I said, there's an oil leak in New England. That car has an oil leak. In 200 miles, there's going to be a problem. But right now, it still runs. It's still fine. There are professionals. So I don't think we're at the implosion point of the New England Patriots yet. Seattle, that's an issue. You have a real contract dispute there, that's a problem. New England, not much of a problem. They're professionals. They're going to be okay. I don't know. I have faith that New England is going to last a little while longer. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. A little while longer. Yeah, the Patriots. They're going to be fine. So last time John Gruden was an NFL coach, John Gruden won a Super Bowl. And I believe this time around, this time with the Oakland Raiders, John Gruden is going to be even better. I have a couple reasons for this belief. Because again, I repeat, John Gruden will be better this time around as an NFL head coach than he was his last two stints with the Raiders and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The first reason why John Gruden will do better this time is very obvious, it's very simple. Derek Carr. Easy. Of course, Derek Carr is fantastic. Some people say Derek Carr is the next Aaron Rodgers. Mm, Slow your roll, I don't believe that. In fact, I don't think there is a next Aaron Rodgers. You really think he's going to be better than Aaron Rodgers? No. Or even even remotely. Look, there's not another Aaron Rodgers walking on the planet. But it is funny that Aaron Rodgers lost his best receiver and the Raiders picked him up. So Derek Carr is throwing passes to Jordy Nelson, Aaron Rodgers' favorite receiver. He left out. He signed with the Raiders after the Packers cut him. And Derek Carr is a star quarterback. Say what you want. He had a bad year last year. He also hurt his back. Derek Carr is going to light up the NFL, especially with a head coach like John Gruden. I mean, if you remember, John Gruden won a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay with Brad Johnson at quarterback. John Gruden won a quarterback with Brad Johnson. Do you know who Brad Johnson is? Can you see Brad Johnson in your head? Can you picture him? Exactly what you think. He's a a wolf or bread looking white guy. He's boring. You don't remember his career. He won a Super Bowl, but that's all you know him for. You don't remember any... You don't know where he was before Tampa Bay. I don't know his career. He's not important. Imagine if John Gruden can win a Super Bowl with Brad Johnson. Imagine what he can do with Derek Carr. In 2006, John Gruden and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers went 4-12. and John Gruden had a bad year. And uh, the narrative is that, so John Gruden won a Super Bowl early in Tampa Bay, and the narrative is that John Gruden, as time goes on, he wears out his franchises. He's incredibly intense. And the narrative is that John Gruden's intensity 
wears down his franchises. Now, I believe John Gruden will be better this time. I really do. See, a video surfaced the other day of the Raiders having a, an accuracy competition uh, between the quarterbacks and the receivers. It was fun. It looked like the Raiders were having fun. And, and for that and a couple of the reasons, I've heard he's a little bit, there's reports, he's a little bit less intense this time. So I think John Gruden has relaxed a little bit this time around. I think he's gone from an intense maniac to intense and stern. Because you can be stern and passionate without being an asshole. And I, my guess is John Gruden is somewhat, I don't know that softened is the right word. I don't think there's anything soft about John Gruden. But I think he's not an asshole anymore. He's stern and passionate without being a jerk. And there's a video, you know, here's what's really telling to me. There's a video of Derek Carr at the Pro Bowl in January. He's talking to Eli Manning. He's mic'd up. And uh, he's talking about how John Gruden really wants to coach the Raiders. Derek Carr says, oh man, there's Gruden. He really wants to be our coach. And uh, that's, that's telling, man, because John Gruden didn't settle. I mean, John Gruden had it made. Broadcaster, ESPN. Millions of dollars, a good setup, a good life, set for life. He's happy. John Gruden came out of retirement because he knew he could succeed. I mean, look, he was not in any rush. There was no pressure on John Gruden. Some of these coaches, man, they might never get a coaching opportunity ever again. If you get a a job offer, you got to take it because you never know. You might not ever get, I mean, you think Hugh Jackson would have taken the Browns job if he thought he had other options? Probably not. But Hugh Jackson said, I want to be a head coach. This is my chance. I'm going to do it. John Gruden was in a very different situation. John Gruden can take time. He can weigh all his options. He can wait for the right moment. And clearly, John Gruden thought that the Raiders now was the right opportunity for him to coach again. I don't know, man. John Gruden has a 10-year contract with the Raiders. And I think he's going to be incredibly successful. John Gruden will be more successful this time around than he was last time as a head coach in the NFL. I believe in John Gruden. I think he's relaxed. He's got the quarterback he wants. And this is the this, this is the situation he wanted to work with. He didn't settle. He waited and waited and waited and he got the exact specific situation that he wanted. I believe John Gruden will be better this time around. Okay, um, you know, a lot of 49ers fans listen to this podcast. So many people that love the 49ers also love this podcast. Hey, I I love that. That makes me happy. I appreciate it so much. I got to be very frank with you guys. There's not a lot of 49ers news. You guys want me to talk about the 49ers? And and I'm I'm combing through interviews with Jimmy Garoppolo, and, and there's just not much. There's just not much about the 49ers I can find. Now, I promise you this. Look, first of all, Jimmy Garoppolo is amazing. He's fantastic. Um, but I, I promise you this, when the regular season picks up every single week, I'm going to heavily focus on the 49ers. I'm going to talk about the Browns and the 49ers. Those are the two teams I'm going to track every single week on their progress. Cause you forget two years ago, the number one and number two picks in the NFL, the first two picks were the Browns and the 49ers. They're on year two of their rebuild. And it's interesting to follow. They both have gotten franchise quarterbacks it's exciting. And the 49ers especially, look, man, they are set. They got a franchise quarterback. We know their coach is great. We know their general manager is great. Their running back situation is fantastic. They have Jarek McKinnon, Joe Williams. 
I must say the 49ers look so much better. And again, I repeat, I'm going to follow the 49ers very closely every week. Win or lose, I'm going to break down the 49ers game every single week. I'm going to do the same thing with the Chicago with the Cleveland Browns this year. The Cleveland Browns and the San Francisco 49ers every week. We'll get a breakdown of their game because that's what I'm going to do to help you guys. I know you guys want to hear about those two teams. And uh, the truth is there's just not a lot of news about them yet. Just not yet. We're, we're in, it's June. <laughs> but, but I want to say this. I want to help you set your expectations accordingly. I want to reiterate, I've said this many times. I believe in the 49ers. But remember, they're two years removed from being the number one or the number two pick in the NFL. Two years ago, the 49ers had the second worst record in the NFL. Don't forget, they're still in rebuild mode. I love, I think the 49ers are great. I made a wager. I bet the 49ers would win more games than the Giants this year. If I if they don't, I have to buy a Saquon Jer- Barkley jersey for one of the guys who listens to this podcast. I bet, I mean, I don't have money for that. I made a bet on that because I believe in the 49ers. But I do not believe the 49ers are a Super Bowl contender just yet. They're still, I think, two years away. I love them. I'm going to break them down. It's going to be fun. I, I honestly think two years is going to be more fun. If they won now, we wouldn't get the buildup. It wouldn't be as fun. To, to get to follow this team for the next two years and watch it build, watch it grow, A, that's a good story. But man, is that fun to root for, fun to be a part of. And I, as much as I love the 49ers, slow your roll a little bit, just a little bit. Because they're, they're really good. They're not Super Bowl contender just yet. Give them two years. If they surprise us all, awesome. But I don't think the 49ers are there just yet. Slow your roll just a little bit on the 49ers. So the the two biggest stories of the entire summer. First, obviously, it's very simple. It's LeBron James. LeBron James' free agency is going to dominate the headlines this summer. The other big story, though, that I don't think people have on their radar yet is Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel's season in the Canadian Football League is interesting. It's a story I'm going to track every week. I'm very excited for that. Because I look at Johnny Manziel and I say, that is a gift from God. Thank you, Jesus. Because it's the middle of summer. It's June. Basketball's over. Baseball's boring. And football isn't here yet. Let's be honest. Johnny Manziel might be the best storyline we have other than LeBron James all summer. It's going to give us a story we can track week to week. I'm so excited. I'm so grateful for Johnny Manziel. We get to track Johnny Manziel's football progression. And so I want to discuss that now. Johnny Manziel had his second and final Canadian Football League preseason game. Uh, He's playing the Montreal Alouettes. And he made progress. He's 12 for 20. He had 88 yards. He even had a touchdown. Johnny Manziel looked good on the move. He threw pretty good. He had, he had a, a pretty good deep ball down the left sideline. Not great. Wasn't caught. But it looked, looked like, okay, wow, he can throw the ball downfield. Um, he had some good rushing yards. I still don't think we've seen enough throwing the ball downfield from Johnny Manziel. We haven't seen him in the pocket throw a deep corner. Or he's, he's just dink and dunk. Very simple little stuff. Um, and he, frankly, should have thrown an interception. Johnny Manziel should have thrown an interception. And it's interesting to watch Johnny Manziel. He's at his best when he's extending plays, when he's on the run, when he's making moves outside the pocket, that's when Johnny Manziel's at his best. But the bottom line is Johnny Manziel is making progress. That's good. That's exciting. That's what you want. Look, I, I want to be very careful this summer because I'm going to cover Johnny Manziel 
every single week. I'm going to touch on him every week. How did he do this week? But what I don't want to do and what I'm afraid of doing, and I promise you I won't do this, I don't want to overhype Johnny Manziel. So I I promise you this. I will not sugarcoat things. I'm not going to hype up Johnny Manziel unless he deserves it. Uh, I, I think Johnny Manziel still has a lot of things left to do if he wants to impress me. I mean, look, he look, he's not really throwing the ball downfield yet. He's got average arm strength. He's got average accuracy. And frankly, Johnny Manziel looks like a running quarterback. He looks his best when he's running, not when he's throwing. So um, that is concerning, but he is making progress. And that's also cool to see. Johnny Manziel is making progress every week. Every time I've watched Johnny Manziel, from the Spring League, the, the NFL Developmental League, to the CFL, every single time I watch Johnny Manziel play, he looks a little bit better. And that's exciting. That's cool. So I'm rooting for Johnny Manziel. He's making progress. And I, I'm excited to see if he succeeds. It'd be a great story. You'd like it. I'd like it. It'd be cool to see if Johnny Manziel could succeed. He may not. Um, currently is still the backup to the former Oregon quarterback, Jeremiah Masoli. Um, but he could move up, right? And I do think there's an interesting wrinkle with Jeremiah Masoli. One of my friends pointed this out. Uh, Sean, he's, he's a Beaver fan in Oregon. And uh, he pointed out that Jeremiah Masoli could be a good mentor to Johnny Menzel. If you remember, Jeremiah Masoli, um, Masoli got in trouble. He got busted for stealing laptops in college. And so he had to transfer. He had to go to, he had to leave Oregon and go to Ole Miss. He had to make a drastic move because he screwed up. And so it's possible Jeremiah Masoli could be a really good mentor and a good help to Johnny Menzel. Uh, it's interesting. It's, uh, it's exciting. I promise I won't overhype Johnny Menzel, but we are all crossing our fingers because there's not a lot this summer. I mean, there's plenty of bull crap we can make up about football predictions and all kinds of stuff. But what's really happening is interesting is Johnny Menzel is going to play a game every single week. Um, and I, I really am looking forward to tracking that. I hope he does well. He may not, and I won't pretend if he doesn't, but it'd be cool to see Johnny Menzel succeed this summer. <clears throat> okay. We have, we have two things left. I'm going to talk about the Mariners and then we are going to do, I'm going to play the interview between me and Kenny walk, uh, Kenny. The first thing is this. So um, this is my, I have a theory that I want to test this season. It's it's interesting. It relates to the Seattle Mariners. Because currently, right now, the Seattle Mariners are doing really, really well. They're the first in the AL West. They're fantastic. They have one of the best records in baseball. And I have a theory about the Mariners um, that I'm going to watch. And I'm going to have it in mind now. And I'm going to track it through this summer and see what happens. Because I have a theory that the Mariners cannot succeed because of where they are located. If you know the Mariners, they're up in the northwest corner of the United States. And that is not good. That's not helpful. What that means is the Mariners have to fly more miles than any other team in Major League Baseball. More time in the air than any other team. And I think it's possible that because of that, they taper off every single year. It it may be wrong. But I think it's possible every season. What I've seen is that the Mariners taper off at the end of every season. As I'm really curious to see, does that is that true? Is it just possible the Mariners, no matter what they do, can't succeed because they're flying more than everybody else? They play divisional games in 
Texas. It's not good. That's, that's really not good. And so I'm just I'm just curious to watch and curious to see, can the Mariners succeed late in this year? Will they fall apart? Are they going to get tired and worn out from being on an airplane most of their lives for the next two months? Or are they going to be able? Because look, most of the most of baseball has a two hour flight. You know, Baltimore to Toronto is really not as far as you'd think. Texas to Seattle, I'm doing that. I'm going to Dallas from Portland. That's it's a long flight. It's not, I don't know. It's just, it's not, um, it's interesting to me to see what happens to the Mariners. Will the Mariners taper off or will they keep it up? Can they keep their momentum going? And if the Mariners taper off, if they look like they're losing momentum, if they look tired and sluggish, I'm going to blame it on, oh, they're in the Northwest. They fly more than every other team, more miles, more distance than every other team in Major League Baseball. It could be a terrible, stupid theory. But it could be another interesting one that's we're talking about. So I always try to be interesting. That's my goal. And I'm curious to track that. I'm curious to see if the Mariners struggle and taper off later this season. All right. Oh, yeah. So this is something I've never done before. Um, I did an interview with my buddy. Um, I did an interview with my buddy the other day. He got to work with Russell Wilson. He's a high school football coach. He's a great guy. He's a longtime friend. Really good ultimate frisbee. And he did me a favor. He let me he let me record our phone call. And uh, I recorded our call. I'm putting I'm putting it on the podcast. It's the first time I have ever done a phone interview. I'm still learning how to do the audio as best I can. It's okay this time. I have a plan. It'll be even better next time. But I'm really excited. He he did me a courtesy. He talked pretty openly about Russell Wilson, what it was like to work with him. And uh, so this is Kenny Walker. Thank you so much. I'm going to play the clip. I hope you enjoy. Kenny, how you doing? Can you hear me? Awesome, man. Uh, I don't know if you know this. You're the first person I've ever had calling in my podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. That's a great honor. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. I, I guess, first of all, I want to ask you, can you explain what happened recently? Explain your opportunity. Because you just spent time with Russell Wilson, and I don't really fully understand how or why. And I'd just love to hear why or how. Yeah, so uh, last week I was at work, and I... In the morning, I checked my email, and uh, there's an email from his, I want to say it was his coordinator that runs the Russell Wilson Passing League, and awesome. uh, so there's an opportunity, and uh, the email was like, they uh, were asking me, like, hey, we need a few more coaches, are you interested in volunteering this Saturday, which was this past Saturday that happened, Yeah. and so I replied as soon as I was, as soon as I read it, which, like, I read it a few hours after he sent it, and then... Um, luckily I still replied in time, and so they had the offer, and they're like, all right, come out Saturday morning and, uh, coach. So basically you coached with, with Russell Wilson at his, his passing, at the Russell Wilson Passing Academy, correct? Is that how you say that? Yeah. Yeah, the Russell Wilson Passing Academy. So it's, what it is, it's a camp that he puts on along with, uh, one of his former teammates, uh, Jay Keeps, who was a quarterback. Yeah, I know Jay Keeps. He went to Washington. Yes. And then they, uh... So Jay Keeps is actually the manager of uh, Russell Wilson. He's yeah. like the owner of her. That's awesome. He runs it. He runs it. Awesome. And so those two came out, and uh, what they did is uh, there was a bunch of coaches in the area. We met at the Nike World headquarters. Yeah. And we uh, early in the morning, and we uh, we split into age levels. We had uh, eight, nine, ten year olds, eleven, twelve, and thirteen year olds, and then uh, thirteen through high school. So That's awesome. eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and then thirteen through high school. So you're on the field coaching with Russell Wilson, basically. That's that's how that happened. You got to spend the whole day with him. Yeah. So actually, that was one of the first things uh, we had to show up early at 7:45 to help set up. Yeah. And uh, I met a coach here from a different school, 
And one of the questions both him and I had, where we were both wondering, is Russell Wilson the type of? Because I've been to camps where it's supposed to be like put on by some famous guy, and he doesn't show up to the. Yeah, he's not even there. It's just his name on the brand. Exactly, and so that's one thing we're like, because we've heard how much of a stand-up guy he is. Yeah, like the type of person he is. So that's the big thing that we were curious. And the camp was supposed to start at night, and right at nine o'clock, here comes Russell Wilson out onto the field. <laughs> he led the warm-ups. He led the stretches. Uh, he, when we broke up into the groups, he spent the rest of the um, camp running around the whole field, uh, going into each of the drills and uh, helping the kids in all of them. Yeah, I'm really excited you brought that up. Actually, I, I read a story about Tiger Woods today, and it talked about how Tiger Woods wasn't really the person that the media or that that really his PR team or his sponsors were portraying. And I, I'm curious if any of that's true for Russell Wilson. Is he is he fake nice? Is he actually the person he presents on camera? No, no, he's as real as it gets. That's awesome. As real as it gets. He was, he was there. He was uh, motivating all the athletes. His so his he has this thing. Every camp he goes to, he starts off by saying the uh, the same thing with the athletes and with the parents. Uh, so he says. Um, no matter how many campers are there, which for our camp we had about 400 kids there, uh, he says as long as by the end of the camp he's able to change at least one one person's life, uh, one camper's life, then it's a successful camp. That's awesome. That's cool. And that's his goal is he wants to change at least one person's life, whether it's on the field, off the field, and he considers that a successful camp. And so he spent the whole time, he took, um, before we uh, started doing the camp, he took a selfie with every single athlete. So it was every single camper that was there. That's cool for the kids. That's awesome. Is, yeah. he, is he actually coaching or is he running around like saying, like what's it, what's his experience like? Is he running around like saying positive stuff or is he actually providing tips for athletes? So he, he was out there uh, running the drills with the athletes. So like, That's cool. for instance, I ran the eight, nine year old receiver group. Yeah. And so what for mine, the eight, nine year olds, they just, there were six different stations and he would spend 20 minutes at each station. And so he would even come over to mine and, um, we first we taught him how to catch and how, how to uh, their stance, and then we yeah. taught him a few routes. And he would come over and he would throw to the kids, which I mean, which I could throw the same pass a hundred times. They'll probably forget that in like the next month. But for them yeah. to catch a pass from Russell Wilson, I probably meant more than anything. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. You know, I've spent a lot of t- I've spent time around football teams my whole life. I've been around locker rooms. I've, I helped with Washington State a little bit this year, and uh, you know. You see some guys are like hoodie guys. They're guys in the corner. They're not really, they don't have a lot of presence. And some guys, when you walk into a room, they shake your hand. They're involved. They do have presence. Would you, I, I, and I guess the answer to this already probably is that Russell Wilson has presence. But does he? Is it, is it real? Does he have presence when you walk into a room with him? Oh, yeah. You can tell like everybody, like before he showed up, everybody was like looking around, seeing yeah. when he showed up. And it's like, as soon as he got there, like the energy of the whole camp just like exploded from the kids. They got excited. Yeah. The coaches, they were like, of course, the coaches wanted to like, okay, do that. We have to do this right. He's here. Like all the coaches wanted to portray the excitement that he was showing onto the kids too. Yeah. So it just the whole atmosphere, the whole camp. And, is, and to some degree, you expect that at his camp to have everybody like look at him and be excited. But again, I just I've been around quarterbacks that are so they're not they don't have presence. They're quiet. They're not really. It just I don't know. And it seems like Russell Wilson is a very stand up guy who does have a ton of presence. Oh yeah, and he's high energy too. That really he. I could see him definitely being a coach. He's one of those high-energy guys that, like, he brought the assignment. Even, like, we had a coaches meeting before all the athletes showed up, and he was there, and uh, he was just, like, getting us pumped up. And, like, we did, we got in the huddle, and we started jumping up and down, and we're a bunch of old coaches now. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know what he's going to do when he, he retires, but it seems like he'll have plenty of options, whether he wants to be a broadcaster or a coach or whatever. It seems like Russell Wilson's pretty stable with what he wants to do. Do you have anything else to add? I mean, I, I just, I've seen reports that Russell Wilson, there, there's turmoil in the locker room and sometimes his, you know, his teammates seem like they don't seem all in on him or there's some kind of, they question him and I don't really understand it. Do you have anything to add maybe that just kind of, because it seems to me Russell Wilson's a stand-up great guy. He is, and I think, so at the camp, someone asked him uh, about his faith, which, I mean, he's portrayed that very yeah. popular in the media. Yeah. And he was straight up, he said, the three most important things in his life, in order, are faith, family, and then football. And, like, he was very adamant about how his, each one has helped the other, like, in, like, a circle. It was, like, bettered mm-hmm. his life. Cool. Uh, he was really high on his family. Uh, he talked about his new daughter, Sienna. He talked about his wife, Sierra, how much support they are. And, like, um, for instance, like, the new baseball team. In Portland, that they're trying to bring. Yeah, to yeah. Portland. Yeah, you're a Portland guy. <laughs> and yeah, so he, we brought up uh, we brought up that, uh, and he talked about how much support Sierra, uh, how much she's helped her, or how much she's helped him, and how much they love each other. And it just seems he just seems genuine with all of his answers. Yeah, seems authentic and real and honest. Yeah, like he wasn't afraid to shy away from like giving a political answer. He was, he was straight up like, you asked me. He did a Q&A at the end of the camp with um, all the campers and uh, the parents that were in attendance. And he was just up front with anything they asked. He was, okay, I'll give you the answer. That's so cool. That's awesome. Well, hey, man, thank you so much. I really I, I appreciate your time, and uh, I'm really grateful you shared a little bit. I hope that was uh, what you expected. I'm so grateful, man. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, anything else, just, I'm always here for you. All right, thank you so much, man. Have a great night. We'll talk soon, please. Thank you. Take care, man. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. I, uh, I've never done anything like that, and it was fun to um, kind of step out of my comfort zone and do something different, and I hope to do more of that kind of phone interview style down the road with better audio, of course, but I'm very excited. I want to leave you with this. There's one thing Kenny said he wished he had included in the interview. We were texting. He sent me this. He said, uh, at the end of the camp, uh, there was a Q&A with parents and, T- and Russell Wilson, and a parent of one of the players Ask Russell Wilson what Russell would say to one of the campers if um, they wanted advice. And Russell Wilson said the advice he would give to a young person is this. It's very cool. I liked it. It's, I want to read it to you. He said, surrender and sound. Sur- sorry, surrender and surround. Russell Wilson said, surrender and surround. And what that means is surrender yourself to greatness. Surrender yourself to accomplishing your goals. Surrender yourself to positive influences and habits. Surrender to good habits. Surround yourself with others who surrender themselves to the same things. Basically, surrender yourself to good habits and surround yourself with good people. Just I, I, The point of it was, I, I, my take of that is, look, have a good work ethic and do the right things and put yourself around good people that have the same morals and same beliefs as you. I think it's interesting. Kenny wanted me to include that, so I did. But that's all I have, man. Um, I, I think it's interesting. Russell Wilson probably is a, um, he's probably more authentic than we realize. I, I don't know. I, I've been, I've entertained the possibility that maybe Russell Wilson's fake because there's a lot of reports that his teammates don't like him. And it's weird. Like, why? Why was that? Why would that come out? And I think a lot of it's unfair. He's like, you don't like Russell Wilson? You're, you're probably the one with the problem. That sounds like a you problem, not a Russell Wilson problem. Like, I don't know. I just, when I hear that, I go, a lot of people contradict that statement with, he's a great guy. I've been around him. 
Kenny's been around him clearly, and uh, a lot of people say you know he's pretty awesome. So my best guess is Russell Wilson's a great dude, and he's probably a good leader. And uh, I don't know why he doesn't mess with his teammates, but it sounds like a problem with his teammates, not a problem with Russell Wilson. That's a you problem, not a Russell Wilson problem. Okay, man, that's all I have, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I am very, very excited for the direction of this show is going. I'm going to take a week off. I'm going to be gone in in Dallas the next week. I'm so, I'm so excited. I'm going to go see Jerry World. I'm going to go explore the Dallas Cowboys uh, stadium. My good friend, Brandon, who I've referenced the guy who listens to this podcast who doesn't know anything about sports. And that's actually Brandon. Brandon is an amazing dude. I met him at, in San Francisco. We, we met up. We went to pizza and I he's, he's my homie he's like one of my best friends and so I, I've, I'm gonna go hang out with my buddy Brandon in Dallas and I'm, I'm so very excited if you're in Dallas and want to hit me up um it's a little weird <laughs> but but yeah I will I will come meet you it'd be fun to have a conversation with anyone who wants to talk about sports um let me know so I'm, I'm very excited to go to Dallas remember you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes on SoundCloud and on YouTube you can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best most interesting clips. If you like strong opinion sports as much as I do, help me grow by telling your friends about this show. It rhymes, it's a crime, whatever, but share this podcast on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow strong opinion sports by telling your friends about this show. My name is Alex Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Man, it means the world to me. This is my favorite thing um, on the planet is doing this podcast. And so I just am so grateful. I'm happy to listen and it means a lot to me. So thank you so much. Have a great day. But I'm bummed. Bam, we are done.